Hobby Day in Canada. I'm your host, Tom, and with me as always are... Dan. What? Mike. Steve. Ward is super on the ball. I think Ward's excited to actually be here for once. It's been a while. So, welcome back, Ward. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm also drinking Red Bull. I feel like you scared some of our listeners. You came in fast and really quickly towards the mic. It's probably... Uh, it clipped. Not good. It yeah. clipped. Yeah. But that's what you guys usually so, want. You're like, talk loud, talk towards the mic, talk close. Yes, but and leading gears is probably not. Well, anyways, we'll, yes, we'll okay, see. All right. I feel like Ward being like super close is almost as loud as I am, so it should be okay. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, okay, uh, well, this week in hobby. Uh, less for me than usual. Uh, <laughs> actually, wait, did we... No, this week in hobby I was actually doing stuff still for the LVO. So we recorded on Tuesday. Before you went, on yeah. Thursday. Yep. So I did a ton of work actually on Wednesday night, just finishing up random little things. Finally finished up the uh, Webway Gate thing. Yep. Got all the gems done. It's been like half done forever. Got your display board? Yep. Got it completely done. Got the display, display board completely finished. Uh, finished up all the wiring on that thing and did a little bit of paint work. I actually went back and touched up the Incarn okay. uh, a little bit more. A little more airbrush work. And then we'll talk about that, but then we went to the LVO, which counts kind of as this weekend hobby i think so you were spending yeah. you know three or four days just nerding it up so totally uh when i got back though i did not want to really paint anything uh related to 40k so i actually started working on the atronita bust from infinity cool. uh, and i'm very happy with how it's coming along fun model to paint that was me uh what did i do um i don't know <laughs> I painted up a Mangler squig. Uh, yeah, that's right. I saw that. That's cool. Zarbag's gits I painted up. Yeah. Uh, Spike Claws Swarm I painted up. I think so. All it. of the Shade Spire. No, he still has I, a couple I still have a couple left. Oh. The two new ones plus the. I the didn't haunt. get the two new ones. Well, then that's your Those problem. are the only two. I didn't. It's Mike's turn. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Quit trying to weasel into my hobby time here, buddy. All right, all right. Sorry. Uh, it's not like you've painted the ones you've owned anyways. I what I did the uh, yeah. priming of 20 squig model, uh, squig riders models. Nice. Did How many base. of them are the knights? Uh, okay, if you want to include that, I've already done that on 10 other ones. Oh. So, bad. yeah, 10 knights and then 20 squig hoppers so far. Love it. Wardo? Mm. Mm. Wardo uh, actually has hobby. I do have hobby. Finished so the model. I was working on nights, and so I changed the color scheme like last minute. Thanks to Steve. He's like, it doesn't pop. Uh, Correct. So, so I had to change it so it is a nice gray and uh, teal uh, for the night color scheme. And so I was working on that. I got one of those guys everything done except there's a few details I want to do uh, like the little sight glass on the top of the armature and you gotta repaint it little bits and pieces so run it black start over <laughs> uh, as is my uh, MO there so yeah yeah uh, but I also want to do a little bit more airbrushing on the ends of the barrels of the armature autocannons that sort of thing too uh, do you like the heat effect yeah yeah so I did just a really light blue um, but go straight to blue though you gotta go through orange and purple 
Yeah, yeah, I got to go back through and and whatnot. So so I'll have to airbrush that. I know amateur. That is that is amateur actually fun. hour. That is fun right, though. So. I love going back when on a finished model and doing like the the crazy <clears throat> ink airbrushing stuff. It's like one of my favorite things. Missile missile top hat uh, for one of the knights. Um, Can't call it done until you get the alternating white purple. Uh, it's true. I got to finish up the missile part itself uh, for that bad boy, but the the casing itself is uh, pretty much done. Um, played a bunch of games uh, for hobby, and then when I got back, I did a little bit more work on the night, the other nights, uh, try to catch them up, and uh, tidied up some of the hobby room to uh, feel better about myself. So, how many of your own nights do you have with paint on them? Uh, four armatures, Helvarians. Fuck, that's awesome. So, yeah, and then I've Speaking and then I've, which can I have a Helvaran? Why? Because. You're only ever going to field three, and I need a third. <laughs> we could have made this work if we were smarter. <laughs> Anyways. And aren't they already basically we'll, painted in your we'll team? Talk. Yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> yep. Hey, Steve. <laughs> I wonder why you did that. <laughs> it doesn't quite look right. You should really do it no, with my scheme. In fairness. <laughs> hey, ha- hey, happy birthday, Ward. I got you this baseball mitt. If you're not going to use that baseball mitt, can I uh, borrow it? It looks like it's a little big for your hand. <laughs> In all honesty, I have to say, the uh, the gray that you decided to do with the teal looks way better. Like the asphalt. Because ash- you were using the Vallejo asphalt colors, right? No, I was using the secret weapon that's burnt right. rubbers. That's the one. That was, that's what I meant. Uh, I know there was like a special uh, like asphalt burnt rubber thing or whatever. Yep, yep. I think that's a great accent color for detail stuff, like an entire armor panel. That It looked weird. I'm very happy that you changed it up. I think it would have been... <laughs> Odd. Well, it, it is a color that it looks like rubbery. Like you looked odd. That's yeah. all I can say. Maybe I'll uh, use it for the assassins. That would actually work. Yeah, with all their skin suit stuff. Yeah, yeah their vinyl gimp suits and stuff. Yeah, that would actually work really well. Yeah, that it's really good for that for sure. I'll take a look at that. So cool. Yeah, uh, and that uh, that was kind of uh, it for me for the time being. This is a monumentous occasion. That Ward painted a model. And, and I've been games. looking. I've been looking at a lot of the, my 40k army books. A lot of the four. I look at nice. books all the time. Doesn't count as hobby though. Speaking of I've been hobby, informed. Speaking of hobby, how about you, how about you, Dan? Uh, pretty much all my hobby content for the last couple of weeks has been uh, doing more prep work, getting built based and primed uh, the BattleTech starter set models. Nice. So uh, being the pre-assembled PVC guys, they are a little bit tricky to get at all the mold lines on some of them. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that's been a little bit tricky for sure. But once they're all cleaned up, they actually look. Like pretty sharp. They don't look quite to the same level, in my opinion, as the uh, 3D printed MechWarrior Online stuff. But like, if the MWO stuff is like seven through ten on a scale of quality, then these designs are easily in the probably like six to eight, maybe nine territory as well. Like they're getting nice. close, which compared to the old 80s designs is a massive step forward. And I think they'll take paint really well. I saw one of the new Awesomes already painted up in like a purple and blue scheme. Oh, yep. that looked good. With all the panels and everything, so I'm I'm really going back and forth between um, a number of different possible color schemes for these guys. There's the one thought is to do uh, the Waco's Rangers, which are like the nemesis of my main faction. So they would be like um, sort of like a like a like a flat tan um, color, which actually would go well with like the desert style bases that I typically do. Then they have like a rusty orange brown accent color, uh, so they'd be like a very realistic military color scheme to contrast my like solid freaking red and black ones which are not camouflaged in the slightest yeah totally so there's that thought but um one of the color schemes from some of the 
uh, box art and whatnot that they've been doing in more recent years is uh, they have like purple and white ones that look quite good. I like that immediately. And I was thinking about doing purple and white with like camo pat like splotchy camo patterns with just insano like purple, gray, and white. Just because it looks yep. nuts, but like yeah, it'd be, I think Do that it. could be pretty cool as well. Do it immediately. So there's and there's potentially some other. You can ones leave as well. it. Leave now like, and do it. The the third one I was considering was um, it's actually it would actually be similar to uh, Ward's color scheme from the Armagers that uh, Steve didn't like, but it would be like that um, tire black secret weapons style, where like coal black up to Thunderhawk sort of a thing, that same kind of range with like a rust orange for um, the accent panels and, and stripes and whatnot. So, like, I have a number of these schemes that I'm going back and forth between in my head that I, I got to figure out what to do before I start airbrushing. I, th- I think the scheme that Ward was going for could have worked, maybe. But, like, the tones were just n- no. I think... I the think the you, tones were just no. no. Just, just stop. I, I have to admit, I really did I don't want to be mean, but I really didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could make it work, though, with different, different tones. And it's very different scale miniatures as well, right? Like, yeah. miniatures less than two inches tall versus armatures and knights. Um, different techniques will work in a different way. So yeah, there's definitely some possibilities there, but one of those three schemes I'll probably, end up I also with. think it makes more sense on like a mech warrior type thing where they can be a little bit more industrial. Uh, like I think with a, a knight armager where it's almost like a revered piece of royalty sort of kit, you can't really go with like sort of battle tan, like M1 Abrams color. You know what I mean? Anyways. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a very big style difference between them as well, especially just because the arm um, the knights and the armatures have they have the really distinct two tone thing where they have the the metal skeleton and then the armor panels. Yeah, which BattleTech models they're just armor panels really, so yep. you don't really have the same composition issues that uh, that you would with with the uh, 40k knights. You sure, don't, you don't want to be showing your skeleton in BattleTech. Sure. That would generally be it's bad, bad news. if your if your internal structure was showing. You're having a bad day. Fair enough. Tom, how about you? Uh, I did some more work on the Cephalix. Got another max unit of dredges done. Another pistol wraith, machine wraith, another monstrosity. Um, I can't remember if the second caster was done before the last time we podcast. So you're almost over your case at the Cephalix? Almost. I've got Ward brought some back from Vegas with him. So oh God. I mean, you can't get Cephalax, really. <laughs> you gotta let the Cephalax run their full course. Some stuff doesn't running. stay in Vegas. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it comes to yeah. Venereal diseases are not. Say, are when it comes to infectious diseases, for sure, those come back with you. Hundred um, percent. Other than that, I did up seven buildings uh, from scratch uh, for like fantasy settings. Ma- the main intent being for War Machine, and it was kind of a almost a proof of concept because I know a lot of the guys. Use a lot of 2D terrain, but there's an increasing desire in the community to have good-looking 3D terrain, but that's also functional for War Machine. Oh, that's more totally Ds. So, no, that's, that's totally fair. I mean, makes sense to me. Right. You want your terrain to be playable. Exactly, because a lot of the the impetus for moving towards 2D terrain was guys using shitty... And when I, and when I say shitty, 40K. it was repurposed 40K in fantasy, and the yeah. terrain itself looks great, but it just doesn't work with the scale of War Machine, where yeah, totally. you don't want train pieces being more than, like, three or four inches by two or three inches. No, that makes maybe, sense. Maybe at most five inches long, right? Um, and so I did up some of those. Uh, they are really awesome. A lot of It was surprisingly fun. It's at a point now where, like, I actually am just thinking about, okay, so I could just make an entire city, and that city includes probably, like, 30-plus buildings, 
where I can just cover like a four by four or four by six and have it just look really cool as yep. like a diorama. And then maybe that'll be the impetus for me to like get back into D and D for like a weekend and be like, "Hey, come over! I'm gonna run you through a campaign." <laughs> a weekend, and here's our city. <laughs> like well, because yeah, I don't know what you mean. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be part of like an every week we're playing D and D thing. I want to do that still with 40k, real bad, Dark Millennium. Anyways, yeah, I'm in. We'll just take a weekend, order a lot of pizza, and play Dark oh Millennium. God, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, so like this, I can't wait to overheat a plasma pistol and die in the first ten minutes. That's what oh. I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and then just fucking play. In space like Marine. NPCs. Exactly. While everyone else is playing. <laughs> and then immediately go back to the, like the, and be only a robot. Just robot after that. Servitor. Be a servo skull. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but yeah, so I took it out to a gaming day last weekend, and there was really positive feedback for it, um, for gaming on it, and guys really liked it, and it's surprisingly easy to build, and I think it looks pretty fantastic. Um, if you guys want to. Uh, yeah, I was uh, admiring that. Looks like it's almost from a kit. Yeah, you know, it looks professional. Um, and then I am twelve models into my Chaos Dwarf team for this weekend for the Cryfall Cup. Cool. Uh, That's on Lethbridge, right? Yeah. Gotcha. So I've got the six Chaos Dwarfs done, the six Hobgoblins done. I've started on the Bull Centaurs. Uh, and I've started on the display board as well, which is basically done except for paint at this point. Nice. But i got to wait for the pumice to dry. And I think that's it. Yep, makes sense. That's not too shabby, sir. Yeah. Should we move on to Shut Up and Take My Money? Sure, why not? Okay. Uh, I want to know what yours is, Tom. More drudges. Really? It's not the new Primaris Lieutenant? <laughs> Okay. Is this another one? Okay, no, Dan, did you not see that trailer? Oh, the Chaos Primaris. No, 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 no. It is a dead Primaris lieutenant on a base. <laughs> yes. um, so, I haven't seen the full model yet. No one has. So, it's staying off there for now. But I'll be honest with you, <clears throat> it is really hard for me. Because 40k is a game where... It takes a long time to make an army and get yeah, it finished, yeah. right? Like, I can't just bang a, a Cephalix army in a few days. And he's not an Iron Warrior. No, but... He could lead the... Anyways, the point. <laughs> um, but, like... So, but with 40k, I need to be able to stay focused. Otherwise, I'll never get an army done again. And I'm really pissed off that one of the things that was fully uh, leaked was a sweet-looking demon engine. Yes. And we all know the demon engines are kind of the trademark of my boys. Yes. So, which one are you talking about? The new Obliterators, or the new Hellbrute, or the new Venom, the Venom, Venom Scorpion thing? The Venom Scorpion thing, because I, I, it was one of the groups I was on on Facebook where they were showing off the the new Obliterator and how much it looks which like is Bane. So fucking cool, the new Obliterator. I, I don't care what it's it Bane looks with like. guns. Yeah, it it's Bane with guns. Fucking with guns. awesome. Um, and so I'm a little bit like nervous that it is going to be a thing that stops me from working on orcs. Um, <laughs> I like this. But they look cool, man. I, and and seriously, I was watching the video, and I'm really happy that you guys didn't send anything immediately after seeing it. You weren't allowed to. Yeah, if you had your phone out, they yelled at you. They were like... But like, even message not like... Not yelled at you. But, like, but you could have sent me a message afterwards of like, oh, you gotta check this shit they out. They released it within like 10 minutes of us being out there. They had the Q&A going, and they were like press button to launch post because they knew immediately afterwards it would yeah, leak everywhere. Pre-planned. Either way, so I'm yeah. sitting in bed, like, I think Sabo was asleep already, and I'm just, like, looking at him, just like, 
I got like really like excited and emotional. When they like show Drachne in, and I'm like, I had the exact same thing. You should have seen the room when we were in there. The room was like people were just like, like it was crazy. Like the room went nuts because everyone was like, because they kept going through the reveal where they're like. Oh, and that's it for 40k. And then at the end, they're like, "Oh, we forgot one thing." And yeah, one more thing. <laughs> it was just like, "Ah!" We know how much you guys crazy. love Primaris Satanis, <laughs> which again is like, I know we used to shit on Games Workshop a lot in this podcast, and that we've kind of 180 and we've been super fanboys. Yeah. But like, come on! Like, one of the biggest things people have been griping about with that company lately is that every time they have a special event, it's a new Primaris Lieutenant. Yeah. And totally. for them to lean so hard into that, it almost makes me like maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I feel like they've been doing it for this reason. Yes. Like it's all been building up to like, okay, we're gonna release like eight different Primaris lieutenants for two years, and then <laughs> I wouldn't we're go gonna fucking far. punk them and be like, We know how much you love these guys. Jokes on you, it's actually fucking Abaddon. Oh, Okay, so anyways, shut up and take your body was Cephalex. <laughs> well, it was because I'm waiting until I see the full. F- I'm waiting until I get more info and it's more tangibly things I can put in my hands. Yeah, but I've already agreed to split a box with Ward. <laughs> like, okay, fair. Uh, moving on, Ward. What's yours? White Dwarf for oh yeah, assassinos, assassinos. Yeah. So I, I agree. I gotta get one too. And then I'll have to pick up a few more assassins. Rules have leaked. I will be playing assassins. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, how many detachments of assassins are you allowed to take? You could take three. Just 12 assassins, bring it on. Uh, I'm just 12, playing a thousand points down, yeah, deal with it. I don't know how well. You I could would take 12 assassins and then you could reinforce with one extra. So whatever the hell that is. You could take 13 assassins, 13 times 85 points. Just playing like a 900 point initiative bid. <laughs> yeah, Not a I thing. So. <laughs> Although, if it was like Age of Sigmar, where for every 100 points you were down or whatever, you got a free command point. Yeah. Still probably terrible. <laughs> uh, it would be terrible for sure. But what's. Anyways, the idea of taking uh, two Castlins and Assassins. Fun. <laughs> anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious list. Uh, assassins and to then. Play with. <laughs> And then I'm also uh, going to be picking up some uh, Shapeway stuff from uh, Gadgets Plus. Um, so I'm going to get some... You didn't buy them before the price went up? Uh, negative. The so. price went up on February 4th, I think. So. Yeah. They'll be slightly more expensive than they would have been a month ago. Yeah, I'm a dink, so I'll be I'll be okay. In so many ways. In so many ways. If you're so, going to pick uh, something up, maybe let me know in the split shipping or something. Sure. I'm sure I could find something on Shapeways that I need. Is it just Shapeways, or is it the specific, like, seller... I think you've... Oh, that's I, a good cause, point. Because I'm going to his specific site. That's what I was going through. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he has his own site, if it's a thing, or... Take, take a look. I haven't actually ordered anything off Shapeways. I don't know if ordering from, like, multiple sellers, stores, all comes in one shipment. But, but that I wanna, would be nice. But I want to get uh, Kopesh's for uh, my arm, uh, Armager Warglaves. Nice. So they'll have... Uh, Did you buy two Warglaves and two Eldarans? No. Did you buy four Hellerans? I bought four Hellerans. So what are you doing with Warglaves? He's going to buy some Warglaves. I don't have Warglaves yet, so but I'm going to get the Kopesh's for instead of the stubby little chainsword arm. Interesting army. Okay. Good yes. choice. Good yes. choice. I'm very confused, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I'm just going to go. Uh, Armagers look fucking awesome, man. That's, that's all i got to say. Hey, so, as long as he's painting, it's good. And then... That's an interesting <clears> idea. <throat> Knight Preceptor, Armagers, and Assassins. That's also a cool list. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm also going to pick up a uh, Egyptian-looking shield for uh, the knight that I'm doing. Yeah, for the um, tilting plate. Yeah. So I've got 
I've got that uh, that I'm going to order. And then they also have little Kopeshes for uh, Adeptus Titanicus, which I'm going to get for all my little all my little stubby nights. Nice. So, cool. So Kopeshes all around. Right. Hey. How about you? Uh, mine's small. I just want to get uh, some of the new Skaven Terrain. Oh, yeah. Smells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the new Black Fortress expansion. Oh, the dreaded Amble? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Amble looks pretty cool. Yeah, I played a game of Black uh, Blackstone Fortress on the weekend. Well, we, we, Were you going to say Black Hole Sun? Black Hole Sun. What you got? That game is fun. Just as a, as a heads up, you got if you played Blackstone Fortress and you've only played one round of it, continue playing. Like, turn, make sure you play an actual full campaign with it, because as your characters level up, it gets really fun. Yeah, characters level up, you get more types of enemies in your encounter deck, so your so next Tuesday, difficulty Blackstone? ramps up. We could. Yeah, I just need to be invited over to play Blackstone, because I'm one of the only guys without a copy. Fair. I also do not have a copy. My Eldar Ranger is getting very good. <laughs> very good. <laughs> she murdered five people in one round. <laughs> You know what? That's a lot of people. Sniper, you know what, Steve? Sniper till the end of time. I'll paint the crude on Monday. Okay. Okay. I'm, I, we'll play Tuesday. I'm all in. 100%. Uh, sorry, we totally cut you off, Mike. Damble. That's it? That's it? Oh. Uh, yeah, I got so much going on right now. I just, sorry, Steve, before <laughs> I you go, anymore. I got one more. Ooh. There's a new t-shirt design on the Hobby Night Threadless page. Oh. The baseball t-shirt. Yes. So I need one of those. Yeah, for sure. For well, I'll probably have to get one of his practice shirt for our team. Ooh, also, yeah. for the record, um, it is really hard to fucking find. You got to go under the long sleeve T-shirt, scroll down to the bottom, and there's a baseball tee button to click. Weird. Yeah, it's a it's a subset of the long sleeve T-shirt category, which there's no way for us to change that. It's a little weird. Baseball tee is not with the other T-shirts, but whatever. It's a thing. Okay, cool. I'll have to get one. Uh, for me, my shut up and take my money is is very much a combination of everybody else's. I'm gonna get the Amble set. Really want that because it also comes with a new uh, sealed envelope, yep. like Ooh. for another end boss fight. Mm. And I still haven't opened mine. I know Dale hasn't opened his. I have no idea what the hell's in it. Neither have I. So, and I haven't even actually looked at any of the spoilers online. I've actually been that restrained with it. So mm. I actually really want the other one so I can keep this whole train going. Uh, the Assassin's uh, White Dwarf. Need that real bad. Yeah, I've actually got to reserve one of those, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they may. I have a feeling this one could sell out. Um, and there was one other one that I need. What the hell else was there? Oh, I want the new um, uh, Primaris uh, box. I actually would like... Shadow Spear? Yeah, Shadow Spear. Uh, I'm really interested to see what comes in that box, because there's a whole marine type they haven't shown off yet. They said in the... Uh, preview that there there's more reaver or phobos type pattern. Too. Yep, <laughs> I would like those Primaris Marines because I wouldn't mind making them Imperial fists. Ooh, yeah, not bad. And they're if the if the dude with like the auto cannon that thing, stung work did sting mm, a little bit. Mm, yeah, with yeah. like either the jump pack or the mm. grab shoots or whatever both. the hell the flying auto cannon Primaris Marine. Oh, shit that is. guy. Yeah. I don't know what that is. If that's actually a thing. If it's a thing, I want it, and I want it to be Imperial Fist. It was shown <laughs> on the GW YouTube channel, so it's a thing. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't know what it is, but nice. it's a thing. That's That'll be the other one. That's me. That set, yeah, I'm going to just come out and say immediately that that needs to be a thing for my Raven Guard, although I am regretting the fact that uh, all the Reaver-style Marines, I'm giving them the flip-flops, and as I'm really liking these new models, I'm like, shit, 
I have to sculpt feet on all these bastards. It's good. Or be a you problem. could just not. No, no, you know what? No, <laughs> I'm committed. No. I'm, committed. No. I'm all for this because, as we'll talk about later, it'll really help you out down the road. <laughs> True. Sandals? True. It actually, I know where you're going with this. Yes, yeah. it will. Yeah, we'll talk about this more later, but it's a huge benefit for Let's your Let's just say it checks all the boxes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going with this now, and that's really, that's really kind of dumb, but if, it, if it'll pay off for me, then so be it. Yeah, yeah okay. but, it'll be uh, wonderful. They're looking good. Uh, for more immediate concerns, I don't know if I'm going to pick up the Dreaded Amble set immediately, because it's not like it's <clears> limited <throat> edition or going anywhere. True. But that needs to go on the list at some point. Um... One, the only thing I picked up in the last couple of weeks actually was the uh, the re-released Gene Stealer Cult Dice for 40k. Oh yeah, because they came out with a set of them like two years ago and they sold out. And I thought they were quite cool looking. I didn't really realize at the time that they're the fucking GW dice where the faction symbols on the one, not yeah. the six. Uh, so oh, yeah, I'm a doing dumb little shit. bit mad about that, but they look cool. I missed them the first time around and I got them this time. How many sets? I just picked up the set of twenty. Really. So, well, they come 20 in the box, and that's a lot. I know, I just, I'm, I'm not used to you just getting one of something. It's because they have the symbol on the one. That and, like, Sucks. how many dice do I need for a fucking Necromunda gang? Probably Three. more. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think there's any possible way to roll more than, like, maybe six dice at a time in that game. So, Fair. I think the 20 will serve me well. Sure. But, um, yeah, so that's the only thing I picked up recently that I can think of. Maybe, like, a paint. But, um, yeah. Cool. That Shadow Spear is going to be a thing. I'm cool. going to need to pick up some green stuff. Wait, so you're buying one too? Yeah, I'm not sharing it. Fuck you. You're keeping all the Chaos stuff? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> the Chaos oh, stuff. Oh, wait. Chaos stuff. Forgot it came in there. <laughs> that was Dan's the, thought the process. The Chaos stuff, realistically, I probably won't be keeping all of it because the only Chaos stuff that I want is, like, pre-heresy, and these guys are way too late into the... Like chaos iconography and mutations and stuff. Yeah, unlike pre heresy stuff you want, they're quite post heresy. Yeah. Heresy detected. Yeah, I love that gif. It's yes. so good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they probably won't fit the aesthetic of what I'm doing. Like if I'm doing possessed of any kind, they would be Gulverback from uh, the Word Bearers, which have the big crazy forgeable models that look really freaking good already. Yeah. Uh, so they wouldn't match. But. It's just if there's obliterators and shit in there, like I'll probably need more than one. Oh, you're gonna have an army. Yeah, the, the just straight up, just saying, I don't want any of that stuff because that shit's heretical. I, I, I will give you twenty dollars. Filthy xenos are fine. <laughs> Filthy xenos are fine. You draw the line of chaos. hundred percent. All the xenos that I play, not into chaos. Well, they True. were at one point. Which ones? The Eldar. Oh, they sure. Not on purpose. But all the ones that I currently <laughs> play are the ones that are like. Not dead, so therefore not into chaos. <laughs> you played Iandon for a very long time. They're not into chaos at all. What, where, where's your background on this? The, the, they're just into the necromancy and bringing the dead people back. Yeah, and like all of the shit with the souls having. Like, Slash no. was intrinsically tied with them for a while. Okay, but they weren't friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're you're. This hurts me. You're no. They're all about the not chaos. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah. Whatever you say. But yeah, I could, I could potentially see maybe keeping the basic Chaos Marines if there are any Oh, yeah, from you can fucking set. have those. I don't give a shit about those guys. Those, those might be a thing, possibly, but, like, yeah, all the obliterators and stuff like that won't fit in, so. Fair. Cool. That's Probably really all I want. We should move on. Yeah, so, LVO, how was it? It was excellent. Ward, what do you think? Terrible? 
No, I actually had a fantastic time this year. Uh, uh, statistically, he had an even better time than you. Steve. Playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, as our 40K expert in the room. Uh, yeah, so uh, I will make some tweaks to your uh, suggested army and uh, make it better for next time. So. Does it hurt a little bit more <laughs> that half the army was yours? Oh, Steve? more than half. But anyways, <laughs> that's point. No, I mean, so here's the thing. I don't. Results of the tournament aside, I actually was a little bit like, eh, I'm not sure I'll go again next year. Like, it's been six years in a row. Uh, it's a huge amount of work to get ready for it. Uh, it's expensive to actually go and do the trip. Like, I was thinking well, that... We, I, we don't cheap out. No, but I mean, at the same down. time, even with just flights, even if you try to do it cheap, it's still a big expenditure. You could do a lot of local tournaments or even go down to, like, uh, Barry Open or something like that. Uh, do one of the other events. Maybe do Adepticon next year was kind of the thought. This year was probably my favorite LVO maybe ever, I would say. Ooh. I actually had such a good time. The tournament itself was excellent. <clears throat> I had six phenomenal games. They were all close except for one, but opponent was fantastic. Um, I just had an absolute blast. It reminds me why I like going to the LVO because I didn't have a single rules dispute at all. Um, Did you have a time clock? I played one game with a clock. Oh, okay. Um, it was it was an excellent, excellent event. I had a wonderful time, and I'm actually super stoked for next year. Uh, Me going into it with uh, the limited amount of games of 40K that I played. This is my favorite part of the entire event. I, I didn't feel at a loss. Maybe for, like, the, the first day a little bit, but the second day, like, it was smooth sailing. I felt like I understood the army a whole lot better. I got some more of the synergies down. Yeah. Um, and, again, playing, like, equal caliber. Your first game, it's kind of like a crapshoot of what you're going to end so up playing So we got to cut to the chase. Ward, how'd you do? Uh, I ended up with a four-win, two-loss record. Which is incredible. I was the worst player that had the four <laughs> wins and two losses uh, on the bottom of the list, and then we started getting into the ties. But uh, it was actually a really solid performance, way better than I had anticipated. I was hoping for a two-and-four record uh, going into uh, the first 40K. I am so stoked. LBO. So stoked, man. Because I, I told you when we went in, it was like three and three with this. This list is a coin flip. You're going to, half your opponents are just not going to be able to deal with three nights. And that, you should be able to win those, no problem. If you can go three and three, great. If you can go four and two, incredible. Uh, I am so unbelievably stoked that you managed to pull out a four and two. I played it. Unbelievable. I played a different army every round. Like, yeah, there's, there's no, there was no matchups just with the sheer number of players. Me too. 660 players yep. is. Uh, quite the variety of, of the armies on the nose sort of thing, so. uh, I th- it's just over think it was just over yeah yeah. the the number I heard on the stream was 680-ish because of the they had more but a number of people were no-shows right yeah like that's always the case uh, yeah you're right I actually didn't play the same army twice at all I played like the hell did I play I played Death Guard Imperials uh, Custodes Imperial Guard Custodes Eldar the hell else did I play? Orcs and then Gene Sealer Cult. So Steve, let's cut to the chase. What was your record? So I went two, three, and one. Uh, and I'm actually quite happy. Three, with that. two, and one. Nope, two, three, and one. Uh, I one of my games, this is my one asterisk. We talked out the game afterwards, because at this point in time, we were both uh, like three and one going into this. My opponent and I, I won the game. We talked it at the end. He was like, hey, I made a mistake. If I would have moved just this one unit of boys forward, I would have had the tie for recon. 
I was like, go ahead, man. Totally fine. Uh, we had such a good game. Wyatt Turk and I, it was he was playing Orcs. Had a crazy, crazy game. Like, basically nothing left at the end. I had, like, the Incarn and a couple characters, and he had one unit of 30 boys sitting on an objective. Managed to go through, like, 120 boys that game, which was pretty amazing in my mind. I was pretty stoked about that. Like, a yep. little bit of moral victory. Um, yeah, as so we talked about, so that was the tie. So, all in all... Uh, was basically like a three and three performance in my mind, but also two of my games I lost. I lost one game by one point, and I lost another game by three points. And they were high scoring losses. Like they were super tightly contested. Like I lost 23 26, I think one of them, and 21 22. So those are really close games. And like that's what I really like about Vegas is I had, I didn't really have a blowout. I had one game where I got crushed by a guard artillery list, basically what we were talking about beforehand. Like, Hope I don't play a guard artillery list. And then it was a guard artillery list on long board edges with no terrain in the middle. And I was just like, well, this is going to go poorly. <laughs> Wait, no terrain? <laughs> there was one building in uh, on one side. And then it was basically an open expanse to try to get to him. Like, just the way it worked out, he won the roll for deployment. We were playing long board edges. He picked the side that was very adv- advantageous to him. Like, there was nothing I really could have done in that game. I basically, as soon as we set up. and Just uh, full on worst case scenario. I was like, well... This is going to be, see if I can get more than 10 points out of this game. Um, anyways, that was, yeah, all my games were fantastic. I can't wait for next year. I'm so stoked. That's yeah. awesome. That's good, because I'm happy that you're going next year, because then we'll be able to go together. Yeah. And now next year, Ward, you got to go 5-1 and one Best Knights player. Jeez. <laughs> no pressure there. Yeah, none, none at all. So, But, I mean, like, uh, my first my first opponent was uh, Imperial Guard Tank Company. And again, like long board edge that I had to trudge across, and I like my close yeah. combat armies, so I gave you my three close combat knights. <laughs> yeah, so but I mean, uh, win big, lose big kind of army. <laughs> so, so my opponent Rain, uh, he he gave me a lot of like feedback and everything too. So, uh, just kind of like ideas on how to play the knights, because again, it's a it's an army that he also has. Uh, so he's giving me some different ideas on how to to maximize the usage of uh, the Helvarians and such. Well, the armagers are something that I have never played with seriously. Yeah. Paint him up, so I was like, uh, "You should do something like this." I think. So, so it sounds like he's got some better ideas. So he he gave me some other ideas on how to best uh, utilize those guys for sure. So I'll be uh, implementing that uh, in some upcoming events here, hopefully, uh, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, and then I played uh, my favorite stratagem, fucking death grip. Oh yeah, so good. <laughs> we have decided that you need uh, a sign above your. It was part of your display board. Is number of turns since last death grip? Like you know, like. <laughs> Days without fatal accident. Kind of thing. <laughs> it was it was so good. Uh, he had a, a game four. Uh, had a hive tyrant run up and basically uh, kill one of my knights. And then he ran around coming up to the other knight. So my knight charged him. Uh, he had a little bit of damage. Uh, I chain uh, used my chain sword on him yep. and uh, did got two uh, points of damage through and did like. Massive amounts of damage. He's like, how much damage each? And I'm like, yeah, six points of damage. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, Reaper Chain Sword. I'm Flat gonna, six. I'm going to use a command point. He'll uh, heal one of those. Or re-roll uh, a save. Re-roll, yeah. a, re-roll a save. And I'm like, okay, now I death grip you. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> pop, pop five tyrants. So. <laughs> like, I, I use Death it. grip is the best stratagem in the entire codex right I now. Use it, one CP. Yeah, I used it every every game the second day. Oh, so and good. then uh, against the Dark Angels player, yeah, I was popping like his, like, Land speeders, yeah. 
Yeah, so. No, it was. So if Death Grip is your MVP, literally just the power fist. Uh, yes. Doesn't matter the model. Mine has to be the solitaire. That's like the entire reason I want to keep playing my Inari is because of that solitaire. That solitaire has got to be my favorite thing. Uh, one turn. I know we're, we're straight up telling war stories, which is not the greatest for podcasting, but uh, my solitaire at one turn took out a Patriarch, two Magoses, and that Banner guy in one round of combat. That solitaire is absolutely ridiculous as a Yanari uh, character. You blitz him forward, so he gets to move his 12 plus 2d6. With uh, So then he basically charges anything, and he can move over enemy characters and models because of the flip belt. So you're just like, all these protected characters that people always bunker up in the back corner to try and cast buffs and do that sort of stuff. You're just like, nope, I'm going to jump over that and jump into the middle of them. He then murders one crappy character. Soul burst. Soul burst. Kills the two Magoses, and then is sitting there with the Patriarch being like, uh, go ahead and kill me. And if you kill me, I get to swing back, right? And when he swings back, I then can, uh, for two strats, I can do Torments of the Fiery Pit, which gives him plus two attacks. When he blitzes, he already gets plus two attacks. So he's up to 12 attacks. And then when he dies, he gets to add another attack to that, as well as plus three strength. So he's at strength seven, rerolls to wound, flat three damage against enemy characters with 14 attacks. He's ridiculous. So the Patriarch murders him, and then I'm just like, well, your, your, your Patriarch is now in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Dead. He killed Trajan Valoris in one round of combat. He, like, Whoa. knocked six wounds off him. Trajan's still left with one wound. And again, same sort of thing. I'm like, okay, kill me. <laughs> I'll trade my 98-point Solitaire for your 250-point Trajan. Uh, anyways, the Solitaire is insane. I would like to play an army of just Solitaires, but you can't. So I guess, reason. I guess I'll, I'll stick to uh, just my Inari. Like, it was, it's a super fun army. I had no complaints that army could have done better if there was a better pilot behind it instead of me. Um, like, it's just, eighth is fun. I had close games. I was in all of them. Could have been a five in one weekend, in all honesty. But over, overall, this trip was, was fantastic. Yeah. Like, and like you said all the opponents were fantastic like i was chatting with them like after the games like in like lines for shopping in the vendors area that sort of thing yeah. uh ran into some at like the pub crawl and everything like that so yeah pub crawl was again like fantastic so super, pub crawl was super great time so saw coop again and yep. hung out for a while and yeah so good time i'm i'm excited to go back already you were hanging with mr cooper as it were mr coop yeah one of the so. funny so this kind of we talked about this before on the podcast is how I've been doing the coaching thing with uh, Nick Nadavani. Yeah. So uh, met all met all those guys in person. Met the Knights Pro Crew. Uh, like they had a little uh, meet and greet thing on the Saturday. Um, so chatted with them for a bit. After Saturday, I'd gone zero and three and just gotten like beat up pretty bad. Uh, so I was messaging, talking with Nick, and I was like, Nick, you need to give me a pep talk on Sunday morning like uh, there's something going on so I had that chat ahead of time and then day day two turned into like yeah turned it around felt pretty good about that yeah he, he woke up early and he's like I'm going downstairs for a pep talk I'm like okay I'll, <laughs> it I'll see you down there it worked that honest to god <laughs> that turned around. so for the last two years at the LVO I had not won a game until that point yeah I guess hey right it's a little bit, a little bit ridiculous, but that's as uh, late as. It's just funny how well Admech were doing this year. Yeah, I mean, well, Admech to an extent. Admech with other things. With knights. Admech with knights. Yeah, there's a lot of things that got drops that did a lot better. But I mean, at the same time, the variety. Well, if you want to talk variety, I think it's top eight is not where you see the variety of the LVO. Like no. you get such 
hyper elite, very uh, stratified lists at that point in time. That kind of you have to end up taking the best you're, stuff. You're filtering down from 700 players. Exactly right. Um, but if you look at the top 50 or the list that went five and one, it's crazy varied. Like it's completely all over the place. There's everything. So I think I think in all all in all, the state of the game is pretty good. Like if you're playing in a local scene and not with 700 players, like you can win a game against a castle. There were 70 something odd castles that went to the event. I killed one. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're good. They're definitely points efficient, um, but they're not the boogeyman. Like, the game is, the game is okay. Yeah. And if, and if you're on the fence about, like, going down and playing in, like, such a huge event because you're just unsure about the game or you're unsure about, like, your opponents, go. It's a friggin' awesome time. Like, I had to bully you into it. You did. I was like, it's, it's, yes, it, I know it's it the is, most hardcore thing out there. It is intimidating. Unquote. It's right? so fun, so, but I like I said I had a blast and I'll be I'll be back down there. I'm I'm glad that I got the high roller package that I can pick up those uh, 40k champ tickets a little bit earlier, sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, well, and like honestly, for most events, even even like a hardcore war machine event, yes, don't feel intimidated to go because yes. you're probably gonna the more hardcore it is, the better the players they're gonna be, and which means the cleaner it's gonna be and the more yeah. you're gonna learn. Like. I understand there's this this kind of like notion that really competitive events are something that maybe more casual player doesn't want to go to. No, I just, just get over entirely. it. I like, disagree with that entirely. I know what you it's mean. yeah. Tournaments can be a lot of fun. Just go into it not expecting like so I haven't played this game in three years. I'm gonna win every game. No, just no. go to have fun, go yes. to learn, go to experience the game. At the end of that weekend, you're gonna know the game way better. Oh, than you I, I also drank way more on the Saturday during my game, so I think I had more fun too. On the yes, that'll happen. So, yeah. I was, close, I was closer to the bar on the Saturday. Nice. Yeah. So. That's super solid. The bar was in a better place this year. Yeah. There was a yeah. much better place. Much better place. Well, it was the perfect place last year. Where was it last year? Right beside Blood Bowl. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it might have been the same place as last year, I think about it. Because the year before, they had it in that weird room. No, that was last year that was in the weird room. The year before when Tom came, yeah, it was close to Blood Bowl. No, I was, I was there last year with Blood Bowl. Okay, then it was... Yes, yeah, yes. Okay, then you are correct. Yep. There you go. Um... Yeah, go. I mean, that's that's the thing is is I've always talked about like one of the the games that I dislike the most are you where you play against a player that hasn't played the game a ton, hasn't played in three years, but yet thinks they know all the rules. Yeah, those are the games that I hate more than anything, and you don't get that at the at the LVO two. Like I'm sure there were a few rules disputes and problems and that kind of thing. There's going to be when you have 700 players, but you're statistically going to miss those. Those ain't going to happen to you. But also, like, all my games, like, I ran into some people that were just kind of getting into the game as well. Like, this was, yeah. like, their first, like, uh, year playing playing 40K, that sort of thing. Well, you get stratified um, out into that really quick. Like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, but like just pairings. But, like, like, you end up paired up against people that are on par with you. But every, everybody was also, like, at face value. They're just like, what does that do? Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. There's just there's just so much like you can't rules lawyer your game, otherwise you, nothing's gonna happen in your game. Right? Against, so, how much damage is that? Okay, crazy. All right, I better stop that. Against the Gene Stealer Cults player, my last game, I had to rules lawyer some things because I was like, "What do aberrants do? I've never played against them before." The aberrants are terrifying. Like they reduce incoming damage by one to a minimum one. Yeah, which makes your shining spears with two damage. Well, like Real pain, bad. Anything with flat two damage hates to deal with aberrants because yeah. their whole strength is gone. Yep. Like, losing that damage, too, makes their feel no pain better. 
Um, you're not two for wanting them to kill them in one shot. Like it makes yeah. them exponentially better. But that's the thing is, on our last game, I had a great game with my opponent, and it was just like. Uh, but our, the extent of the rules lawyering was on my part, where I was like, "Okay, I want to see the measurement of like the three units of aberrants that are hitting me right now. Like, I want to make sure everything's in the right spot because otherwise, this is yeah. gonna be a problem." Yeah, aberrants Ooh. are a big freaking deal. Yeah. We yeah, we had a fantastic game, but uh, that was the only rules lawyering of the entire weekend. It was on my part, <laughs> the last game. But even then, you're just asking questions because yeah. you don't know. Yeah, like I said, it wasn't any sort of dickish thing. Yeah, it was, so. it was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, I'm happy you guys had a good time. I'll be honest, the whole weekend, I was just, like, looking at updates and watching the stream because I was hanging out painting, and just, like, super mopey I wasn't there. Fair. I would be, too. I, I, was, getting, I was getting messages after after each round sort of thing. Like That's hey, the yeah. other thing. Best Coast pairings, like, the fact that people can watch your results. Which is kind of crazy, right? So the, like, so the live updates, like, uh, Blake was messaging me. He's just like, hey, that was an awesome job, that game. Like... I was like, "Holy shit, man! Like that's that's crazy." Yeah. Like, I get messages things. being like, "Don't worry, man. You can you can you're gonna get in the next round. You yeah. get in the next round." <laughs> that was a tough matchup for you, like shit like that, because people are yeah watching, looking in. Yeah, it's crazy, super fun. All right, so that's what you guys did. Um, now let's talk about something that I did. And unless you have any last thoughts, no, I, I echo what Ward was saying. Go. Okay, uh, and also what like everyone can do, and that's scratch building terrain. So I think that there's a lot of, like, trepidation to build terrain yourself because it might seem really intimidating or daunting, but there's a lot of things that you can do to make it way easier. I think there's the phone, uh, but I also... I also that was, think no, that was, that was not a phone left that on was, the table. That was, that was me, an idea. That, that was my thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's it's tougher for people to jump on the scratchable bandwagon now because of all the model kits now that you can build train like i remember when we worked at gw there was like no real good kits to uh have for the store displays especially for fantasy at the time so you had to do a lot of scratch building right so you, like, those skills were honed not horned and then now I feel that <laughs> they that they <laughs> that they've uh, kind of gone by the wayside, and not a lot of people do that scratch build anymore. Yeah, it's but, a lost art form. It is, but even back in the day, like I thought, a lot of the times when I see people scratch building terrain, I'm like, "Fuck you, doing that the hard way." You know, like there's so many things you can do when you're approaching building terrain for anything, where um, a lot of it is just kind of knowing where to look for resources. Either whether you're Bitsbox, the hobby stores, like what kind of products you can get, how to use them to make it easier, um, like that kind of stuff. And in all honesty, like I think, yeah, we've got a, a wide array of, of good terrain out there, but more often than not, I think uh, some of these scratch builds look better than the MDF terrain. Because yep. the MDF terrain is typically really flat, mm -hmm. whereas if you're thinking about your scratch builds from the right way, you're getting more texture on there. And it's still cheaper than the MDF. Yeah. Right? Like, That's for sure. So let's talk about these buildings for a second. So people have seen them on Facebook. You guys have them in front of you now. All they are is super glue, balsa wood, plastic card, pumice gel, and static grass. Yep. And the static grass is totally optional. Yeah, totally. Like, that's it. And the balsa wood is like 50 cents for a 36-inch strip um, for this, like the size slats that I use. Um, the plastic card, which I think is probably one of the most powerful terrain building tools you can get. Totally. Because you can get the plastic card. It's already molded to have 
um, like stonework. It's already yeah. molded to have shingles. Yep. Where you hear guys talking about like, I had questions of guys saying, "Oh, did you make those out of cut out pieces of cereal boxes like we were all shown how to do um, in those terrain books like twenty years ago?" No, it's one sheet. And I'm like, "Fuck no!" Like, sure, it's twenty bucks. Well, those twenty dollars for these size buildings gets me six buildings worth of roofs. And saves you, what, like three hours worth of cutting out cereal cardboard? Per <laughs> building. And then laying them out in strips and doing all that. Yeah, like, that would be an absolute nightmare. We've done that. That's, it is a nightmare. It sucks. And, like, going to your hobby store, looking through the plastic card sections, and specifically Plastruct, because the evergreen stuff will do tiles, and then otherwise it's, like, your basic structural, like, sheets or tubes or rods. Yeah, or I-beams. That like, that kind of, kind of stuff. But the Plastruct, the ones that have like the the orangey red and black labels on them, they will have different sizes of rock texture. They'll have brick texture. Yep. They have the like the shingles. They have different styles of shingles. Like if you want to have the ceramic looking shingles, they do those. If you want kind of the more old school um, European shingles, they've got those. Like it's all there. Um, and in many ways, the thing that really helped this work well for me was just dealing in standardized sizes. Yep. So all of the balsa what I got was quarter inch. Either quarter inch slats or quarter inch squares. So that when I'm building everything, I know that it's you can just very easily standardize everything. Um, and in a lot of cases, it was just cut out the, the right sizes for the plastic card and then just frame around it with balsa wood. Like, it was maybe only an hour of building per building. The only one that was an exception is the double tall one that Steve's looking at where just cutting out the fucking slats for the wooden second yeah. floor took a bit longer. I was wondering if you did actually the wooden second floor. I was wondering if you did that with plastic card because the side that I was looking at, I couldn't see like some of the gaps here. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so I, that's kind of like my start. I could probably rant about this for hours, but like, what about you guys? Like, what's some of the other stuff that really jumps out at you when scratch building terrain, I think finding like uh, a location where you can f- find inspiration or or bits and pieces that you can really utilize. So like Michael's for like the the balsa wood and such, right? Uh, I remember going to um, some like the wedding shops for the the cake toppers for like the pillars. Uh, we did a uh, Sisters of Battle Shrine. Yeah, we did all um, kinds of stuff at the GW store back in the day. Yeah, and I mean, like, that stuff was pretty reasonable. Like, you can get, like, a bag of, like, pillars for, like, five bucks or something like that, right? So, and then you can uh, decorate it, like, with statues on top. So you just got some of your spare old models uh, to utilize as, as statues for something like that, right? Yeah, so, like, random empire bits made good, uh, like, nobles. And, you, you know, you could get some angelic-looking models and stuff like that, which are fairly universal for different game systems. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, too, is, like, you don't have to scratch-build buildings. Like, I think I think the the art of styrofoam terrain is almost dead, I want to say, between GW's, um, like, realm of Battleboard, where it has the hills built in. <laughs> and just the fact that hills are strategically not really important anymore. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing is, you don't have to go nuts with plastic card. You, you can use plastic card to embellish some very simple scratch-built terrain that's cheap, um, and does the job. Like, I, I want to point out, like, if you're looking for line of sight uh, blocking terrain, some four inch thick styrofoam cut into sort of some cliff looking uh, pieces with the same sort of pumice gel, uh, you can make them look pretty solid and be very functional and be done in an hour. Uh, yeah. Which is way faster than any of the GW kits. Like, the GW kits, 
if you're going for like scratch building 40k scenery well i'm gonna say a little more tough than some of the fantasy stuff one of the things i like about the fantasy stuff is you can make it look a lot more rickety and it, it fits the theme yep i think one of the things about the mdf stuff that you like with infinity is, is it's cleaner it's more um looks more sci-fi in some ways because there's the perfect straight lines uh you can do some cool stuff with some of the patterns etched in uh, and I think the 40k GW kits is the same sort of thing. You can get that very imperial kind of looking scenery. Grandiose. Yeah, totally. That could be pretty hard to do in plastic card. But you you aren't going to beat scratch building for uh, time and cost. Uh, like painting the GW scenery, this is easier and it looks, I'd say, 90% as good as a lot of the fantasy stuff. Yeah, you know? and honestly, because I have some, I recently got some of those kits from the fantasy range. And like the old Empire, yeah. um, Empire Manor kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I got a couple of those kids. or whatever. The one with the the rock tower thing, like that's an incredible piece. But even yeah. just like the smaller, like yeah, the I got some of the smaller ones that are stuff like similar that. size to these buildings. And I would not rate them as any better than that. But but even even those are there's more uh, details put on, and it, it can be a little, a little intimidating, like trying to get all those details and pick it out. Like how fast did you bang out the, the four buildings here? Um, Paint-wise. Paint Paint-wise? Yeah. An hour and a half, two hours? Yeah, exactly. compa- compared to, like, a plastic building that you... How that much has more well, that's just it, right? Like, I find when you're scratch building, you can really control the details. Yeah. So if you go into your bits box, find some shields, find some little accessories, maybe a model to be a sculpture, a statue, maybe some crates to put beside a building or whatever to give it that a, little extra... A fountain or whatever, right? Sure, so. like, any of those little things help bring that extra detail in while not necessarily increasing the paint job everywhere. Like, fuck, the first time Games Workshop released plastic buildings for 40K, the old Cities of Death terrain, I still remember working at Games Workshop and hand-painting every fucking skull. Mm-hmm. Yep. All, like, 80,000 skulls on that building. Yeah, because they had those panels that were just skulls. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> and I did on a couple oh, buildings. I love my life. And it was hand-painted with two or three, or three layers per color. Yeah, no, I, I mean... And that's I, fucking absurd. I 100% agree. I, it's, I have the building literally right here uh, yeah. on the table. This is the one. There's panels of skulls. And I'm pointing out that you can't see on the podcast, but I'm not joking. Uh, and that that is so unnecessary and doesn't add anything. When you have this many skulls and this many details on a piece of terrain, it just blends in and gets lost. And it just and slows you the hell down, too. Like, it makes the models... It makes you spend as much time on your scenery... As it would take to do like entire units of infantry. Well, I mean, for the fantasy, that's a problem. For the fantasy stuff, I I think that's the way to go, one hundred percent. Yeah, and you can do stuff like uh, Mantic Games has a their uh, terrain crate range, and in that range they have a set of just doors for dungeons. Yep. So if you wanted to take this from like the kind of janky looking wooden doors where I just kind of framed it with balsa and whatever else. Uh, and make it look even cooler. Yep. Just go and buy a set of resin or plastic doors. And you, you, you put them on your, there. You take your plastic card, you cut out the shape of the door, you just trace it out, cut it out with an exact knife. It's super easy to cut plastic card. Nah, just done. fucking glue it on the front. Sure, that too. Because, like, what I started doing, because I used to do that when I was working on stuff, yep. I just start when, for the doors here. I would glue on the frame and then cut out the inside instead of having to try to measure it out first. Sure. And then fill that with a wooden door. So for those, especially if you're using a super glue or something, and then you can go back if there's any weird gaps, fucking just secret secret number two. If it's weird or fucked up, just fill it with pumice gel. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> like there's that applies to everything in your life, not just 
Yeah, that's medical points. advice. Yes. Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> just like, cut my arm off, just pump the shell. Uh, don't do that. I just want to clarify for our listeners if we can't be sued for well, this. Well, you got to get the medical grade pumice gel. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I really hope that nobody... <laughs> uh, nobody looks into that. No, but all I'm saying is if you have some of the plastic card that's got the crazy texture and you really want to make it perfect, you can inset the door. You don't yeah, need to. if you want to, but... Yeah. You don't need to at all. Um, and I think that um, getting those embellishments makes a big difference. It's funny because we can look at these buildings and we all know, like, Tabletop World, I think, is probably about as high-end as high-end gets for resin buildings. Sure. Yeah. And when you look at those buildings... Ward's nodding. But, like, when you look is at those buildings compared nodding? to these ones... My, my wallet hates me every December. <laughs> have you but, like, painted one yet? Yeah. You have? Yeah. Fully, one hundred percent. One. But you look at those buildings, and it's a disservice to not paint every little detail on them. So you'd probably spend how many hours was painting that building? Uh, too many. Yeah. Too many. Right, and on the tabletop. Yeah, it just gets lost. It just all those details get lost, man. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been really fun to kind of take this step back. I, I will say. Hobbying in this scale of just like building some buildings and also dry brush like yes Because in all honesty yes. like when you're especially if you're putting the effort in to get textures on the buildings An airbrush is a waste of time a hundred percent. You can just if you've got a uh, aerosol for your base layer or even for these it was just prime black and then water down some fucking scorch brown and just slap it on all the rock and wood Yeah, I mean and it I was takes like say, a minute of building I would use something like I would use probably Mornfang or something like that One of the spray cans to just lay down my base coats Yeah, that's that's gone Yeah, you can't buy that anymore Mornfang brown? Nope It's dead What? Yeah, yeah it's gone I have one can that's half full Yeah, okay, until the end of time Why do you think my orc army stalled out? Oh no this Oh yeah, is I meant to bring thing. you Because I got a little bit of in a can still yes. left This is <laughs> a terrible thing Yeah, it's gone, it's dead Otherwise, I would be like Go buy your Mornfang brown and it's gonna solve all your problems. Shit. Okay, well, never mind. Take I take back what I was about to say. But I would say if you re- if you have like a workhorse uh, airbrush that you can do the same sort of thing, and you got a bunch of terrain, ba- do your base coats. But you're right, dry brush after that. Don't do any sort of highlighting with it because it just you don't need to. And the other thing too is you can paint with sponges. Yeah, and it actually works pretty good For on this sort of terrain. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's faster. Well, Dan and I were talking uh, yesterday, and the way that you described it was wonderful in that. Airbrushing typically does not add texture to a model. No. It generally washes out most texture, right? Or hides it, whereas when you're dry brushing stuff, it's just, even if it's on a a flat surface, the nature of the dry brushing, if you're, like, just smashing the brush on or doing it in kind of some circles or whatever else, you're adding some, like, actual visual interest to that piece that you wouldn't maybe be getting with an airbrush. So fuck smoothness. Fuck smoothness. On terrain, (laughs) for sure. Because sure. that's especially it's especially the case in my opinion with MDF because the very nature of the material you're going to have big flat plane surfaces and yeah. unless you're doing like chipping and streaking and weathering pigments and other things to Artificial add visual texture. interest yep. it becomes really tricky to paint that effectively where yeah if you're using balsa wood textured plastic card that sort of a thing like it's all right there and dry brushing is quick it's simple you don't actually use as much paint when you're doing it so it's not super wasteful like. Doing full coverage, even coats and stuff, actually uses a lot of paint. Yep. Whereas a quick dry brush, not necessarily. 
So I mean, it's yeah, you're doing, you're it's you're making it a lot harder than necessary if you're not doing dry brushing. And I think it goes for like any stuff you're working on, but imperfection and asymmetry kind of makes stuff more interesting um, from a terrain standpoint. If it all looks like this exact same cookie cutter. And well, even, exactly even from the like same. A, an art theory standpoint, like one of the reasons that pointillism is so uh, celebrated as a style is because it is it does look imperfect, right? Yeah. A- like asymmetry it, is awesome. Yeah. Look, look at the Millennium Falcon. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, like, so you're doing it? Don't put every, right. every door and every building <laughs> in the exact same spot. Don't make every roof exactly the same. Don't make everything the exact same height. Yeah. Like, um, a little bit of that variation goes a long way. Yep, totally. Any uh, other they, materials or stuff that you guys have found that you'd recommend maybe working with? Would it go with a balsa wood, plastic card, um, dire foam? Your foam foam cutter, maybe? Uh, take a look at possibly something like that, like a wire cutter. You go to so, Michael's, they're like 15 bucks. Yeah, so that way you can put some batteries in there and basically you slice through foam. Uh, just keep an eye on uh, your wire as well because it can like snap on you and you want to make sure you, that you get a good enough wire that can take that uh, electrical current without just dissolving automatically yeah, sort of like thing. Follow the recommended gauge of wire because the, the gauge of the metal wire is going to affect the temperature and all yeah. the rest of it, right? Like it's it's a very physical process that um, like makes the temperature of the wire what it is and using a different gauge or a different material it'll be a different temperature and affect all the quality of uh, of the cuts that you're making, and if you're not getting to the hot enough temperature, you have to push harder, and that's where the wire snaps. Yep. And uh, that also comes in as well, where if you're using cheap batteries, they can't get the wire up to the proper temperature either, so they're, they're going to last you, like, minutes instead of hours. Like, yeah. dollar store D-cell batteries, so those old wire cutters. <laughs> not good. They are an awful investment, because they only work for a few minutes. Yeah, uh, for other materials, I mean, one of the things that I would uh, look at is, I can't remember the company uh woodland scenics uh when we're talking about embellishing these sort of things if you want to add trees or uh hedgerows or any sort of vegetation or even if you're going for some sort of more modern type thing stop signs stuff like that they have a ton of random little things that are great for embellishing this yep. sort of scratch build you just got to use them sparingly because they will add up quickly in terms of cost yep. compared to the scratch build materials oh totally uh but take a look like that's exactly what i'm going for is there's a lot of products that Woodland Scenics offers that can really add a lot of feel to your pieces. Frankly, I think the for me, the um, some of the best products that Woodland Scenics makes um, in terms of value and everything else are um, they have a number of different um, like like um, rubberized like molds that you can use with dental plaster or whatever. Oh, interesting. Um, to cast rock formations. Yeah. And because they are just made out of plaster afterwards, um, like you can cut them or, like, you know, smash them with a hammer and, like, piece together, like, different formations and shapes out of them. I didn't know that. They, cool. do, they do some yeah. pretty cool stuff like that, and you can get, because it is just rubber and plaster, you can get quite a few pulls out of those molds before they start to degrade. Cool. Um, and that I think that's pretty cool for doing, like, that. that's obviously intended for more, like, the model train guys and the dioramas. No, but I mean, that's do, exactly what you're trying to do when you're scratch building yeah. terrain. That's what they do all day. Or even take a look at, like, some of your other shopping online, like, purchases, uh via Amazon, like, what does what does the purchase come in uh, for packaging, right? So some sometimes you can get some cool styrofoam shapes of, uh, of something that you can use for some buildings, too, and whatnot, right? So some, like, hangar bay doors for if you buy, like, a stereo or some speakers, that sort of thing, right? So, so like, I think the stuff that we made a ton of, at least I, I did when I was a kid, um, especially for, like, 40K terrain, was the, the, like, clamp foam that electronics came in. 
mm-hmm. yeah. often made like really cool bunkers. Um, because they would have that like oh yeah I know exactly what you're talking about like even like our microphone box that we have for this thing has the the two have foam you flip one over and you have two halves each one's bumps find some good like bulkhead doors and And they look like they have weird crenellations and like fortified ramparts and stuff a lot of the time yeah Um, so probably Uh, beer cans (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know what? Uh, actually, Seriously. a lot of companies are are just doing like toppers. Uh, Armorcast like, does some. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're so getting we're getting a little bit of the MDF stuff, but I know a lot of people that use like the you know the Heineken little mini kegs. Yeah, use that as a giant industrial vat. But one of the things like uh, I can condense pretty easily and, and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people actually use spray foam and basically just spray foam it. So that way, Pro it tip. actually holds it. Spray it half full. Half full. <laughs> half full. Otherwise, <laughs> expanding foam expands. And cutting and filing that stuff is super toxic, so please wear a mask. Um, most important tool for me is a cutting mat. Oh, for measuring? Okay. That's got the measurements, and they're amazing because they'll even. Uh, I got I, mine from an art store. Would Mike, would you recommend a square? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> but like the square is great, but you have that cutting mat. You don't really need one because there's a bunch yeah. of squares already on there. Unless you, you want the right ju- angle, then you're screwed. As opposed to the wrong angle. Mm-hmm. But like, but yeah, you. But it's still they'll still have right angles on there. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. And they'll be good enough for terrain. And you can. My speed is it's so good. Not having to pull out a fucking ruler every time I'm doing anything. The nice thing though about the, like the heavy duty rulers too. Uh, when we were doing a bunch of like islands and and mm-hmm. everything like yeah. that, uh, the rulers on like the side of a piece of styrofoam really makes really jagged cliffs, which is awesome as well. Yeah. So you just like scrape it along, and it'll just give that rough texture automatically, and yep. then you seal it and go from there. So the other tools that I think are invaluable that I don't know if everyone has, especially when working with plastic card. Are those little like vice clamps? Oh, for mm. holding stuff to glue. Yeah, I for holding, use, I for holding use those stuff for to my desk. nipples. Yeah, yeah, but like you know the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> I can't remember what their actual name is, but like the ones where you squeeze them and they tighten up. Nipple yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can get them like Dewalt makes them. They're just yeah. like little woodworking clamps. They're yeah. plastic. They're, there's not a lot of pressure to them. There is oh, also God. another option for doing your trains. If you look at Hertz Arts molds, you can actually get sci-fi molds and everything. <laughs> Look wow. right there. That's wow. a little, Suck lava. it off the table, that's, Steve. That's a lava flow. Save your mat. Holy shit, that exploded. <laughs> Exploding beer cans. Woo. Anyways, continue on. But anyways, you can do gothic scenes. You can do stone. It's just like, once you mold it, it's just like Lego. You just put it together. Yep. And you go from there. And okay. once you make the initial investment of the in molds. the molds, which yeah. is a little bit on the expensive side, you, get, you do get a lot of mileage out of it. You just keep casting more and over... The course of a week or whatever, if you're, you yeah. know, refilling the mold once or twice a day, you end up with a huge pile of, yep. you know, modular components to build scenery out of. So it, those can be really good for like gaming groups and tournament organizers and stuff to pool resources and pick. Or up. if you know somebody who owns like seven or eight molds already, you can just borrow them from them too, right? Yeah. Kevin? Yeah, sure. No, me. Oh, you. You have them. But you hate <laughs> scenery. Huh? Yeah. So I know. Does it, just because I hate it doesn't mean I don't want to do it well. It yeah. Mean, it doesn't mean you don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was definitely that's definitely a good uh, range as well because they have everything from again the gothic scenery. They have like Egyptian ranges. They have sci-fi like space yep. Hulk type stuff. They've got everything. And um, yeah. So and I guess for for one of my little tips or whatever for me, I think I think one of the keys to scenery in a lot of ways is to. Keep the basic materials um, like as simple as you can. So, again, cheap plastic card, cardboard, um, styrofoam, balsa wood, that sort of a thing. 
but just using like a couple of strategically placed bits from your bits box. Like whether that's um, like a control panel looking thing off of a vehicle, or like the, the interior detailed bits from the old Land Raider and Rhino kits used to be really common to yeah. have like 40k computer consoles and TV screens mm -hmm. and stuff. Because most people would just glue the doors shut on their vehicles most of the time anyway. Um, but yeah, just a few of those bits or like exhaust stacks or whatever to put on um, like a chimney or whatever. Like a couple of those bits on a model, like you don't have to put them everywhere. Yep. But a few of them just to tie them in. He does have science fiction molds too now as well, right? Where you Absolutely. can do the doors, you can do a space hole. Who is this again? Yeah, just the Hearst Arts. Arts. H I R S T Arts. Hearst Arts. Okay. Hearst, sorry. Yeah, just a little bit of embellishment uh, can make that just go the next step, yeah. right? So if yeah. you're, in fact, you're I think he that. has something that's specifically for making a Space Hulk corridor terrain yeah, yeah. thing. Or like banner toppers from Fantasy and AOS kits yeah. or whatever the case may be. Just a couple of plastic um, or resin bits that you can use to embellish like a relatively simple model. You'll still end up with a really cool terrain piece that's inexpensive, that's relatively quick to assemble and paint. But just with, through those couple of details, it like brings it up a level. Um, like that's always something with again to to return to the example of the MDF tables or the MDF um, buildings and scenery. I think that's something that more of those companies need to invest in. And I know, I know Knights of Dice was um, playing around with three D printing and resin casting um, as ways to embellish their their scenery kits and. I think Beer is really for drinking, Steve. <laughs> I know. I for those, drinking. I think those I think little embellishments go a long way. Yeah, there's a lot of Shapeway companies, too, that are doing that, yeah. those little embellishments. That you yeah. can look at I'd too, like so to just uh, quickly plug uh, Frontline Gaming's Fat Mats. They're <laughs> very beer-resistant. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the first things you actually told me that sold me on them. Uh, because the first year you went, you played uh, Beer Hammer. Oh yeah, and they were great. For and that. Yeah, there was just beer getting spilled everywhere, and you're like, dude, these mats are indestructible. And yeah, then you like poured beer on this mat. This mat As I bought showcase. that first. Year. <clears throat> I literally yeah. brought this back from the first year that I went, and it is so. This thing is now six-ish years old, and, and it's it had many beers spilt on it. Yeah, this isn't the know. first. Won't be the last. Um, <laughs> yeah. The so just terrain painting for a second. I think. One of the ways that I try to approach it is whatever my dark base color is, and then two or three dry brushes. Mm -hmm. I think takes it one makes it look okay. Yeah. Two makes it look pretty good, but especially like that light little finish. And one of the things I did with these ones where the last dry brush on the stone and the wood frames around it was all just the same men off white highlight. And if you can arrange it that way so that you're doing that final dry brush stage for all your materials or most of your materials, it makes it so easy. It ties the materials together. Like, and then I've, there's honestly on these buildings, several parts or points where I kind of over dry brushed on the wooden frames a bit. And once you do the final bone dry brush on everything, you barely notice. You said yeah. bone. <laughs> But uh, but having that last little highlight color, giving that extra definition, having it go on there fairly light, just choosing where it's going to go. Like, you don't have to be putting that extreme dry brush in every corner on the surface, but, like, maybe just towards the top, so maybe just towards the middle of the smaller panel just gives you that extra separation. And, like, to be honest, by the time you're at that stage, it is 30 seconds of building yep. to oh, that, yeah. final, that final step. And... That extra 30 seconds, I think, goes a long way. I agree. Um, to making the terrain look really fucking good. So, Yeah, I mean, back in the day, it was always, uh, what the hell was it, Shadow Gray, Space Wolves Gray? 
off your after your base coat, and boom, done, perfect. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I would like last thing when you're doing like stonework, start with a dark brown instead of black. Because it's going to mm. give you a much more natural look. And I, I would say that applies for whether or not it's like that more concrete looking 40K terrain or kind of the stonework on fantasy buildings. If you start with a dark brown, it's always going to give you more interesting looking building than just starting with black. It's an interesting point because I always like starting with charred and granite. Now that charred and granite is gone because it had that nice brown tone to it. it. It was like brown and gray and green yeah. and everything all at once. It was great. And it covered beautifully and it was the greatest paint ever. And even the Vallejo equivalent is not exactly it. So, <laughs> Oh, it's not even close. Um, fuck. I probably missed. We were talking about this the other day. You like, know what? I just preemptively poured one out for charred and granite. That's all that was. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, actually, like, now that you mention it, the, um, one thing that is actually really handy for painting scenery, just because they dry brush exceptionally well, the Citadel Foundation paints, obviously, were the kings of the hill for that, but the Vallejo, um, what are they, the extra opaque heavy pigment, whatever they call it range, like... Yeah, sure. in the game color. Those, those are actually really cool, and they're, they're not identical color matches by any stretch, uh, to the old Foundation range, but they're kind of in the same ballpark, like... There's a couple browns, there's a couple ochres, there's a couple of grays, there's a couple of, like, bones, whatever. Um, and those those paints are actually, like, they still dry brush quite well. They're a little bit more tacky, a little bit more thick than, um, especially than, like, the Vallejo Air paints that a lot of us use for our regular brush painting. But just the texture on them is really easy to do scenery with, whereas, like, the Citadel dry paints are really a weird, awkward texture. Oh, I don't like the Citadel dry paints at all. But the extra the extra heavy pigment or extra opaque or whatever they're called, Vallejo ones, I think would be fantastic paints to use for doing scenery. Yeah. And I will say, I actually, I've got many gripes with dropper bottles, but the one context I love it is for terrain, because then you're not having to, like, try and smash a big brush into a little pot, and typically yeah. the Vallejos are a cheaper paint than the Citadels, because you're getting more for less. Like, they're only, I think they're still only about four bucks locally. Yeah. For a pot or a, a bottle of Vallejo. Which is 17 mil instead of like 12. And then the, the G-Dub ones are now up to like 550 or whatever. Yeah, $6 for metallic. So 7 or whatever for the good metallics. Yeah. Which is wild. So like you don't have to break the bank on paints either, right? Like any acrylics will do. You don't have to be using your high end, ordered them from Europe, fucking scale like, 75s or whatever. Or like those Chimera paints or whatever. Yeah. In fact, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, do not. Do not. Use use the cheap ones you can find. Um, any last thoughts? I think you guys covered it. But give it a try. It's really relaxing. I really enjoy doing it. And I look forward to making, like, 20 or 30 more. Really? So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Both for uh, supplying two local War Machine tournaments, because, again, it was a proof of concept to, like, have some cool terrain for War Machine. And also, the more I work on it, the more I'm just like, okay, so I do, like, another five or ten of this style, and they'll be, like, my middle-class buildings, and I'll do, like, a handful more of the thatched roof ones, and they'll be my, like... Low-class. Low-class, <laughs> and then I'll start doing, like, taverns and merchant quarters and, like, all kinds of stuff like that. Like, I'm I'm kind of in... My new hobby is tiny fantasy buildings. I, I fucking love doing it. It was so relaxing. Cool. Um, and just enjoyable. Do you want to make train for me? No, because you don't play fantasy games. But do you want to make 40k terrain? Because I hate terrain. No, I don't want to do. I don't want to do 40k terrain. I want to do fantasy. You oh. hate terrain. I know. Me and you both. <laughs> no, I. Well, I, be, I believe terrain for 40k is a necessary evil. 
uh, mostly because I want like those GW's, you know, photo shoot type terrain boards that they do. Well, they look so good. Oh my god! And the amount of effort to do that <laughs> is like beyond belief. Anyways, I would, I would love to have some. It, it turns out like as much as I keep trying to get myself into 40k, and it is slowly happening. Fantasy's my jam, and like traditional fantasy. So AOS doesn't scratch that itch anymore because it's just so out there. It's like fucking out there fantasy, which is why like War Machine's kind of bringing me back in because it's steampunk, but it's still like pretty. The setting is old school fantasy, sure. In terms of like the the aesthetic of the of the world, yeah. Which is why I'm like super excited to just work on War Machine Train right now. And just play a nightly household. Serious. They all come from feudal worlds. This is exactly what they live in. For real. (laughs) (laughs) Not being facetious. This thing about 40k. There's planets like this. There are, but no one fights on them. Yeah, they do. Anyways, we can... (laughs) Would you play 40k on this terrain? 100%. Just to prove a point? (laughs) No, it would actually be fine. They are very line of sight blocking. Yep. As just bricks of uh, solid also would All you need to do is make one of those double wide, and it's fine. Legitimately, it's absolutely fine. Oh, also, I made this one modular. Exactly. That hides a Carnifex. I mean, if you wanted to get crazy and try and hide a knight, but knights shouldn't really hide behind terrain. No. It's kind of the point. Should be. That (laughs) works perfectly for 40k. Well, we've got almost enough of these buildings to play 40k. My Eldar would love it. Those are enclosed runes based on the ITC. Those are fantastic. Oh, fuck those rules. Just put, <laughs> put 20 witches in there. I fucking hate those rules. Anyways. So much. Yeah, they're not necessarily my favorite either. If I can't shoot in, you shouldn't have line of sight to charge out. Well, that's a, that's a fundamental issue you're going to have with the rule set there. Because you don't need line of sight to, to charge anytime. Charge. <sighs> Anyways. We should Still like 40k. I still like it. <laughs> We're going to move on. Um, so going from talking excitably about a fun event to hopefully some useful hobby tips for terrain, uh, I think our third period is definitely going to be a little bit more, like, if you have high blood pressure, um, be warned. I imagine there's probably going to be a little bit of extra salt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In this next period. Um, but I think it's... Uh, there's just enough, like, acid and fat in the recipe that it requires some salt. Sure, I'll go with that. I, I Yeah, that makes sense to me. So, it's a bit weird, but I agree. So when Ward suggested this, he was like, what about painting rubrics? And my, my first thought was, fuck, you're painting your thousand suns? Uh, <laughs> let's talk too. about that. That was my thought, too. I was like, sure, man, like, why not? Like, let's find you a good color scheme that you can paint up quick. Get that army on the board and play some more 40k. Uh, no, it turns out that that was me just like pie in the sky, wishful thinking, wish listing, w- wishful thinking. Um, right now, so. And in actuality, it's talking about I-, I think really the fundamental ways that we assess painting at tournaments. Yeah, totally. and one of the solutions, which is fairly common, is having like a standardized rubric. Yeah, like a checklist to determine whether or not you have a well painted army. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, <laughs> okay, so I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm going to start from the position that I do not have and start from the idea that they are good and useful just because 
how else do you stratify a field of let's say a hundred plus players? And again, I kind of want to nip that in the bud as much as possible from the beginning, just because when talk if you're talking about like tournament scoring, the LVO and other massive tournaments are such a huge talking point because they have a lot of visibility, but they're methodologies for scoring don't necessarily apply to like a 20-man local tournament because the problems are completely different. Sure, but I'll push back on that. If you don't have something that's not super subjective to point back to, like you you have to quantify... Super objective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Something that's quantifiable that you can point back to something and say, this person won because of this. Everybody was measured under the same standards. Not some sort of nebulous, it looked good. But... Contrasting that, um, one of the biggest issues with those really large tournaments fields is like inter-rater reliability, whereas you're not going to have one judge go around and judge 700 armies in this before the tournament's over. It's just, it's not possible. Yep. Because uh, tracking down all those armies, you're not going to get it all done in one round. Those people are going to be shifting around from table to table. Like it's, It would be a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. So having 10 different judges combining scores uh, for the single field requires you to have a much more defined rubric. Because if you have a 20-man field, one person can judge that entire field. Fairly. I agree. The, so one of the things... So I'll, I'll kind of uh, bring this back to another hobby that I have. So I don't go to a ton of these, but car shows uh, usually hand out awards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they typically have a rubric because people get... It's a lot more money spent in car shows uh, than in this hobby. And people get pretty upset when their shop's reputation's on the line and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but car shows have at most, well, a lot of cases, let's say 50, 60 cars, right? And there's very specific classes that they compete in, so it's not like you need to... Really, each class is probably, let's say, at most 50 cars. You could have one person go around and do that, but they have to have a rubric to an extent, at least a one to ten sort of scale in these certain areas like engine drive line exterior whatever mm-hmm. um <laughs> feel free to finish your point i'm i'm, I'm like i got something yeah, johnson but i mean you have to have that so you can point back to it and go it's not because of any sort of personal bribery or i like this guy i, I don't like fords yeah that sort of stuff right <laughs> so i think for me why i get really uppity about this is that you cannot there is no highlander checklist that makes sense and I think the car analogy is fucking perfect because you have different classes, and I imagine different the different classes have slightly different checklists. Because yeah, you wouldn't of have, what they're looking for. You wouldn't have the same criteria necessarily Maybe. for like a I matching get, numbers restoration versus like a super modern car with like TVs in the back and stuff. I honestly, like I said, I don't I don't go to a ton of car right. shows, but I don't know. I feel like it's a fair assumption, sure. and if it, and if not, maybe it should be. Yeah. Right. So. One of the problems that I have is when you look at a rubric for, typically they'll call it, like, the hobby. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? And I know we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, like, you go to the LVO. And if you include painting and, so, like, the best painted and the Renaissance person yep. as six trophies. Yep. Out First, of, second, third. <clears throat> both right, yeah, yeah. Out of the champions. How many other trophies are they giving out at that event? Well, they give out, yeah, I mean, 
if you include because you've got best in faction, you've got. I was going to say if you include the certificates that they give out for best in faction, you've got the what is it twelve factions? They do everything like all the way down to Death Watch to uh, Corsairs player. And they do Onlyest Grey Knight Award. Yeah, Onlyest Grey Knight, exactly. Right. So, like, would it be so wrong to legitimately have best conversions and best painting as separate things? Because I feel like oftentimes they get convoluted. And we've talked about this a dozen times or more on the podcast, that the best conversions are the ones you'll never notice. I agree. And if you were going around painting, like, judging 700 armies, and you look at it and you're like, that looks stock. It looks fucking cool. But it looks stock. Yeah, you're probably not gonna like be able to pick through. And, and the other thing is, is definition of a, well, there's definition of a conversion too. Is a repo is a conversion? Is buying a forge rolled shoulder pad a conversion? Yeah, totally. And, and by some standards, I think I think you could arguably say yes, because it's different. But by like, if you're really assessing like the, your ability to sculpt and modify stuff, yeah, like buying a resin shoulder pad is not a skill. It's, I agree. It's a wallet skill. <laughs> I agree. I'm that skill. I mean, um, I do it anyway because yeah. I'm an idiot and I like buying resin that I'll never put on the field half the time. So but. I, I, I think the rubric is is good in the fact that it basically will narrow down the field, and that's what I would use the rubric for. Which is why I argue that it's necessary. Again, in addition to interior rater reliability, it's necessary for LVO because you have seven hundred, and you need to pare it down. This, the scale, the scale of the event is is the big factor, right? So, like, yeah, LVO. There's no one person that can go through all those armies and judge them all accordingly to based on their on their merits. So, so it's a way so, to select your like final cut for the best. So army. exactly, right? The reason so, that we're talking about this, I want to. I, I know what you, I know what you're saying more, but the reason we're talking about this is again. It basically comes down to the definition of conversion. So at, at the LVO this year, I made the the final judging cut, uh, quote unquote. But the only way you made the final judging cut is if you had all twenty points. Uh, and the twenty points required. They had a, basically a couple of, of checklist points where you had. Uh, do you have, does your army have conversions? So if you had one really cool conversion, you got that point. And the next checklist point was: Is the majority of your army converted? And that is such an interesting, I'm going to use the word interesting because I have some other thoughts around this. Uh, some people had, you know, they, they added a bit from a, another kit that's part of the army to all of the foot troops. Just a single little bit on the back of a, like a, let's say a gaunt or whatever, that gets you that point. Army's now converted for everything. Yeah. Is that really in the spirit of what's going on? Yeah, I glue, actually, gluing a toxin sack on a model should not count as a conversion to me. So I, I argued my way basically in. You spent a command point and uh, I, did, I used a real life CP. Reroll. Yeah, and he got in. Uh, so so what happened is I got I got uh, judged the first go around, and mm-hmm. the judge asked me, um, "Is your army mostly converted?" And I said, "No, I have a ton of conversions on the shining spears. They're all converted up, right?" The army's not mostly converted. I assume that if you got a high-ranking score, not everybody's going to hit every single point. Because yeah. an army that hits every single point is going to look kind of disjointed, right? Uh, and there wasn't actually a lot on the painting side of things or the, the, the technical skill for the painting. Um, but when I looked at some of the other armies that were going in, they had the same sort of conversions that I had in the rest of my, the majority of my army. Like, all my Wraith Blades have different gear. They're all kitted out to have both sets, right? And it's a couple different parts from the non-Wraith Blade kits. So based on the way other people had considered a conversion, 
I also fit that same rubric. So I had my army rejudged and I got a full 20 and then got into the final judging. And I understand, like, I totally think based on the rubric, I should not have placed for presentation or because well, they don't call it presentation. They call it hobbyist. Um, I should not have placed because my conversions were weak. Right. Other people were pretty high on that based on the. Uh, and I, I got to say, I don't like <coughs> grudge anybody for how they placed. They saw that rubric and they released the rubric ahead of time, which is good. I think if you're going to do a rubric, you better release it ahead of time so people can try and actually compete to that. Um, they had fantastic looking armies. Everybody that was up there deserved to be there, but people were clearly just checking a box. It didn't make the army yeah. look any better. And like for me, when I when I think about that rubric, because there was points on there about conversions, there was points on there about having like using advanced hobby materials like green stuff and plastic card on the majority <laughs> army. Um, and so when I think about and I got, my plas- I got my plastic card checklist because I had plastic card banners on my bases. That is not in the spirit yeah, of plastic Yeah, right. It, it's not. And, like, when I think about that checklist and then I th- – and I know I often rally against these, like, hypothetical army scenarios. But let's say, for an example, that Darren Latham painted up an, an army of Imperial fi- – or Crimson Fists like he did that one Terminator. Yep. Well, there's no weathering. There's no plastic card. There's no green stuff. There's no, um, no OSL. There's yeah. no. There's so many things that it didn't have from that checklist. Yeah. But could you fucking imagine like that blue, kind of non-metallic, like hyper-reflective power armor across an army of, of crimson fists? Yeah, you could paint have, it to like that golden demon standard. You could have you a get very, fourteen. You could very easily have, a, and that was that was where I was hoping this conversation would go. Is you could very easily have. A golden demon standard army that, per the checklist, would get destroyed. Oh, yeah. Okay, what about the flip side, then? So, knowing the rubric, what it is, I would say, myself, I'm a fair painter. If I wanted to, I could paint like shit and hit every single item on that rubric. And yeah. not, not to be, not to name any names, but there were armies that made it into the final that did not have great paint work. But they had incredible conversion work, so what do you, what do you weight more? And this is why I keep Some, back somebody to this sculpted idea. a squigath, and the sculpt was incredible, right? And I'm not saying that this is this is not. I'm not. I realize I mentioned that in the same brush. The, the paintwork on that army was actually really quite good. But my point is, if you have that squigath that somebody sculpted, and then they painted it like garbage, is that worth more than the than the the paint uh, work in general? Yeah, b- based on everything, I got twenty out of twenty, right? On that rubric, I did some really shitty freehand of like stick figures and all this other stuff. I could hit every point on that rubric, but would my stuff like measure up to like somebody else's that's painted nice that might not have a little bit of freehand? Yeah, it's interesting, hey. Right? I'd still I'd still give it to the other guy. And then they personally, had, they had but, other things in there too that were really arbitrary that you don't see in a lot of places. If you didn't have squad markings, you're out. But, like, if you're playing an army list that doesn't have two of the same squad and you don't need the squad markings... Yeah. Would orcs have squad markings? Well, that's what we Mob had these markings de- before. Yes. and checks and... Yeah. yeah like, we have no, but orcs wouldn't be organized like that. Like, Correct. An orc could have dags or checks. I made this exact same argument during the tournament uh, with some people at dinner around uh, Tyranid organisms. Well, the Harlequins. They all have rainbow checks and... Yeah. Diamonds or Necrons, even. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's, a, there's, no a f- sense. there's a few things it on the It makes sense for fucking Imperial Guard. 
That's about it. And, Space Marines, maybe. And the co- conversation with with the organizers and everything was really good because the uh, like a bunch of the judges even said like some of this rubric doesn't make sense. We're gonna we're talking about it already. We're looking at revamping it for like the following. Yeah, I don't year, think they're thing, so. So one of the things that I'd like to do this year is I I need to like they're trying to push the hobby side of the ITC more. Um, I'd like to see where that goes. I still think like we need I. I you need to separate conversions from painting. I agree. Because there's no way you can make a checklist for one that makes any fucking sense for the other. Well, it if you're upsets gonna, me that whenever you say you need, I hear you need now. Like You need you know, God of the Dead. Fuck. God damn it, Eldar. <laughs> no, it's correct. <laughs> I fart in your general direction. It's the, only, it's the only way out for them. It's important. Anyways. Uh, no, I, I think the the painting checklist, Like I'm kind of with you on the on the necessary evil to an extent right it's i think it's, a large I, think event. It's, I think it's just okay these this just kind of like narrows the field this is what we need to now focus on but what happens if everybody hits that checklist what happens if you had like again it's kind of a, a bit of a straw man argument because if somebody's you know if everybody hit the checklist because it's actually not that hard to hit all the points osl airbrush and you go and you have a couple OSL. glazes yeah, you're done. Brush, like uh you're good right you could i think you could have Reasonably, let's say the the LEO keeps growing. Four hundred players hit fifteen out of twenty, right? And then if you're going to say, well, it's just to sort of stratify the field. Well, now we have still four hundred armies we need to judge and go through and rank and cut down. Yeah, like ideally, if I think I think if you're going to use a rubric to begin with, having finding the sweet spot for getting like the correct amount of perfect scores is going to be a nightmare. I think realistically, one of the only ways to do it would be. Something along the lines of make a virtually impossible rubric to get a hundred point or a hundred or twenty out of twenty or whatever. That make it virtually point. impossible to get a perfect score, and then just take your top ten percent, whatever the number that ends up being. That's the, what they were trying to do is try to make it so that these like squad markings arbitrary, but like what what's an impossible thing that's fair? But like you know what, I mean, the problem is that a lot of them seem to overlap, and none of them seem to talk about things like color theory. And none yeah. of them had any subjectivity in them either. Like, it wasn't, like, there weren't cr- ones that were like, okay, out of the 20 points, four of them are going to be for overall paint quality. So, like, you get zero to four, or one to four, or whatever. Like, there could have been an element of that, like, um, like granularity, not just have, like, the binary zero or one for every category. Like, I'd, honestly, I would love to see if they're going to stick with one, Ten of the points have to do with painting. Ten of the points have to do with maybe something else, and ten of the and a good chunk of those po- painting points are actually things that matter. Because like when I looked at it, um, ten, was, ten, 10 on painting skill, five on like color theory, and five on conversion. I feel like at least ninety percent of your score needs to be whether you drilled your gun barrels. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree correct. with that. For sure. Right? Or just like basic prep. As somebody that doesn't draw out any gun barrels. You yes. would fail. You would fail. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd you also play Eldar, so. What, I what, should what, slot sh- all my gun barrels. <laughs> <laughs> just have tiny little slits and all your shuriken yeah. catapults. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's. the fa- I looked at that checklist and I looked at, you know, your army, Steve. I'm kind of surprised you got the 20. I had to argue it. Straight up. I, in my mind, I don't deserve the 20. And, I don't have the like, majority of my army I, converted. But I, I look at that army, I'm like, that's a great-looking army. But I was looking at the checklist, and I'm like, ah, but, like, where are they going to come down on this all versus some? Yep. You know, is such a I, fucked up... I, I, had to, I had to argue it to get there. And, I mean, at the same time, as soon as, as, soon as you're arguing your point to try and be like... Because you're looking at some of the other stuff, and you're like, I, I think I deserve to be in the conversation here, right? Yeah. 
Um, as soon as you're arguing that point, you're already at the, the bottom end. Like, no, I added a purity seal from the stern guard set onto a tactical marine. That's a conversion. Like, no, I that level of stuff drives me crazy. Just rubrics. Whenever, whenever I know that like half of the best looking armies I've ever seen would get mediocre scores on a rubric, like I get angry. Like, fuck, man, your imperial fists, which is one of the nicest armies I've ever seen. Again, hard fourteen. Uh, we, we figured it out. There, they would be a fourteen. Uh, Ward, your knights, fourteen. No plastic card work, not a single conversion in the entire army. Um, but the same no time, freehand. As as the artist, do you feel that it needs that, right? And if you don't, like, if if it can go on the merit of painting alone, it, it shouldn't need all that extra stuff. Like, why would Imperial, why yeah, would Imperial right. Guardsmen have OSL and freehand and all these other things? Like, maybe oh, they would have weathering and squad markings. They don't, like, how would you convert Cadians? If you had like now that'd be twenty. So on their checklist, on their checklist, if you had OSL um, and what you could do weathering or OSL, the yeah. advanced technique, so you didn't have to have like glowing guardsmen. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, but like, where's the questions for things like, did the painting style match the aesthetic of the army? Uh, yeah, there was there was something like that, like, but it was it was weirded, it, w- it was weirded, it was worded very strangely. It was uh, like, if you got all the points above, your army represents a cohesive 40k force. Give this a point. Yeah, but that's only if you got all the points above. Like, yeah. you, that was only if you got 20. Yeah. You get a bonus one. Yeah. Which makes no fucking sense, because yeah. you've already got 20. Yeah. So that, at that point, there's no granularity that, was weird. that makes any sense, because it's there's 19 or 21. But what I come back to... You can't actually score 20. What I come back to is, I think you're right. I think you need to have... If you're going to give out... 20 plus uh, 40k gaming related awards for your performance in the tournament if you're going to have a presentation aspect to it uh, give away uh, conversion side of things do the because conver- there's people that are very good at that and then there's people that are very good at the technical painting side of things and there's also people that are very good at the presentation so I think you could also do like a army presentation and display board and the scenic side of things and that that like how the army actually looks I would, versus how it's technically done versus the conversions. And I would actually be okay with the like general presentation just kind of getting rolled into Renaissance. Yeah. You know, like you got painting, you got conversions, and then Renaissance can kind of be that more holistic painting score. Or the other thing that I was thinking about this year, get rid of presentation. If you're going to have, if it's going to be that difficult, like they did it with sports, if it's going to be difficult to do presentation side of things at a tournament that size, and you're you're gonna sort of have to do this checklist type thing that then kind of at the end of the day you're still doing this sort of bizarre opaque no real understanding of what's going on is it in the spirit of the checklist or is there something you can skew on or whatever just get rid of it I mean it, it stops it would it would actually cause me less headaches because then I don't have to worry about what the army looks like I just take something I painted and go play games games are still fun but I it's mean, I don't know. It's so hard because you're trying to come up with a scoring system that incentivizes people to have better looking armies. Yeah. And not just find some cheeky way to game the system. Like it's But people are, are going to do that no matter what. And unless you have an element of subjectivity in the rubric, like like if you have like, if, again, coming back to that like one through four for like an overall quality, you could be like, are they bare minimum? Are they tabletop standard? Are they tabletop plus? Are they like display category? So, like, you can still have, a, like, 20% of the score be subjective yep. and help sort things out so that you don't have mediocre-looking armies that meet the checklist still necessarily just squeaking into the finals when you have 
exceptional looking armies that maybe don't have conversions getting disqualified. And apparently there were a bunch of exceptional looking armies like that did not make it because they had 19s. They either didn't yeah. have squad markings or they weren't all converted. Uh, apparently there were a bunch of armies that were like stunning that didn't make it in. Assuming I had a like a viable 2000 point um, Raven Guard list and like I would probably have to spend like a month at least like painting to the rubric after the fact to have a decent score. Even though my Raven Guard are like that labor of love, like tons of work in little minor conversions everywhere, you know, forge old bits, um, all that kind of stuff. Like there are so many parts of that checklist that they don't meet because that's not the style I painted those models in. That like it's it's frustrating as hell. Yep. And I as mean, a hobby first player who has a pile of golden demons, to know that my personal army wouldn't come close on the rubric is frustrating as hell. Yeah, and I think that's that's an interesting point that it's it's uh, it's not necessarily whinging that this is coming from right. It's not it's not just just whining. There's there's some there's some previous performance around uh, our painting level that uh, yeah, you know it's interesting. Like it's not something that we we talk about a lot on this podcast because I don't think we like th- like just whipping dicks around when it comes to painting, but like yeah, we have done well competitively. <laughs> like this this ain't yeah. It's interesting that a lot of these armies ain't going to go anywhere. Yeah, like I think about my orcs, they'd maybe be a sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Maybe you would you, you get a conversion, but not the entire army. I get. How the fuck do I get that for like sixty boys? Exactly, but you know, you like, could, would you argue that your scrap pile bases count as conversions because they didn't come in the kit? Or better yet, you know what? Most of those boys, the bodies are actually from fantasy orcs. So sure, fuck it, they're converted, dick. Like even <laughs> even though it's like the exact same, but like slightly more ragged looking. And the only reason I'm doing it is to have an assload of fantasy torsos and legs, so I can double up all of my orc kits I buy from now until like. 8,000 points of 40k orcs. <laughs> so yeah. I'm getting shooters and sluggers in every fucking box. So yeah, sure, they're all converted. Fuck it. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I but mean, like, you, you look at that, and they you're never gonna notice. Yeah. Like, there's there's no... Yeah, there's, there's ways to get the checklist points that don't improve the aesthetic of the army in any way. Or in some cases, detract from it. And then, I don't know, it's just... And I want to I want to be clear that I'm not arguing that my Eldar should have won. There were a couple armies there that were incredible, uh, and they deserved it entirely. It, but that being said, there were armies that weren't mine there that deserved to win that didn't even place. And I think that's really the conversation, right? Like we all we were we were talking about this. Like your Eldar army was really the one you brought down with. If I do well, I may be in the conversation for Renaissance. Yeah, because of the which army- is hilarious because my my knights are better in a lot of cases than that as Ward uh, showed and though he's maybe a better general than me too but they wouldn't have got me there for renaissance because they weren't even in the conversation for renaissance I'm not going to go uh, convert up my knights fuck honestly so your army that you took last year that got you third for presentation wouldn't even get it would have gotten anything it had not a single conversion it had free hand um it didn't have uh, no I guess plastic card. No plastic card. Wouldn't have got that for advanced hobby. There's no advanced hobby materials at all. But it's painted beautifully. Yeah. So the, the army for third last year wouldn't have even been in the conversation. Like it would have. It maybe maybe would have been like point. a fifteen. 
Uh, probably more like an 18. And how fast are the... Uh, when did the... Re- oh, I guess the majority mm-hmm. army doesn't have free hands. And when so, did, yeah, maybe 17. When did they release the rubric? Oh, quite a while ago. You had time. Mm-hmm. You had like three months. So. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. It needs to be released tomorrow for next year to have time. Or when tickets yeah. go on sale. Like, yeah. I'm just saying, like... It's not like you can get your 20 games in in three months and be like, I'm ready to go. Yeah. If you're painting to a rubric that might have to dramatically change your painting style, three months is not enough. Yeah. Well, I agree. Very true. So, anyways, interesting point. So, we'll see what happens next year. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it's one of those things where, the, for the most part, you're going there to play games and have fun anyways, and the trophies are entirely secondary. Yes. And I think that no matter what the system is in place at a tournament, never let it discourage you from playing and having fun. And I do want to reiterate that all of this conversation does not detract from the fact of what I was talking about earlier. This was the best LVO I've been to. I even when I was so at the end of day two, when I was sitting in the hall with a bunch of the other guys that were all there for getting our armies done, judged again because the finalists that were in the top whatever, that had the, the 20s at the 20s. We're all sitting around chatting with a bunch of guys from Utah that were talking about the same sort of thing. Renaissance is the reason they go. They try and always compete for Renaissance. They love the gaming aspect of it. They love the yeah. painting aspect. I had an absolutely wonderful conversation on Saturday night with them. It was awesome. Super fun time. Yeah. Uh, and that was well worth it. I would, I would have actually, in a lot of ways, traded the trophy that it's, let's say I've managed to place for presentation. I would have traded the trophy for that conversation. It was super fun. And that's the biggest reason to go to these events is meeting new people. Yeah. Totally. Having fun, right? Totally. So, so go, don't let my whining, uh, or, but I, I don't know, maybe whining is a strong word, but don't, don't let my complaining, uh, I think it's criticism from a place of love, right? Like it's totally. one of those things where we want them to be as good as they can be. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that's exactly right. So if you're listening frontline, just give it conversions and hop and painting separate. Just do yeah, it. Two different. Keep awards. it simple. Then, then, ultimately, the reason I love that solution so much, you're not taking anything away from anybody. You're making more people happy and excited. Yep, totally. For the reasons that they're happy and excited. Totally. So. All right. Well, I think it's been a. Yeah. We've been a long one. We put together a pretty lengthy episode here. Okay. So and uh, we're gonna wrap it off here. So until next time, I'm Tom. I'm Dan. I'm Ward. Mike. That was Steve, and you said wrap it off. <laughs> you did say wrap it off. Nice. <laughs> nice. Condom joke? Maybe. Uh, maybe. Not sure what that I don't was. think I talked enough about dicks this episode, so uh, play some games, paint models, and have some fun. And dicks. Dicks.